0: Thank you guys. From time to time we gather around the Lord's table uh, in this way which to an outsider might look a little bit strange. We in the middle of a worship service uh, unveil uh, bread uh, and and uh, juice and we pass it around and we take it and we worship God and we pray uh, out from look, from the outside looking in this might not have much meaning or it might convince people even further that we are a strange bunch of folks. But we do this because God uh, told us to, because the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, the night he was arrested, the night that everything was set into motion for him to give his life on a cross, he gathered those closest to him together and said, listen, watch me. And he broke the bread and he poured the cup and he shared that with them and said, you do this from now on. Until I come again, you do this to remember me and to proclaim my death, to remember it in your midst. And so we do that this morning. And I want to turn your attention to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. A big book in your New Testament, uh, more or less uh, toward the, the middle end of of it, if you are trying to flip there. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be there together for just a moment you don't have a Bible today <clears throat> these words will be on the screen and if you don't have a Bible in your life we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good reliable copy of God's word just for you and so we have those on the table in the back and don't don't you be afraid to take those if you need one in your life no cost to you just to give from our heart to yours this is a stunning and artistic portrayal of something very special. It shows us in kind of poetic form the difference that Jesus makes. And so you might not, as we read it, you might not get word for word exactly all the meaning here, but pull back your mind for a minute and and look at the picture that we're going to examine together today and try to get what's being said here. And I'm going to begin by reading in Genesis. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read in Genesis chapter 4, a strange little passage that'll make sense later. And then I'll move to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning of verse 18. Genesis chapter 4, this is shortly after creation. The very first people, offspring of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Verse 8, Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Did God need to ask that question? No. Uh, God is asking Cain for Cain's reason. And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And we're going to move to Hebrews chapter 12. This is a comparison of two mountains uh, the, old, the old way of life before Christ, the new way of life after Christ. For you have not come, the writer of Hebrews says to those people there, you have not come to what may be touched. What may be touched in this case is an actual physical mountain, Mount Sinai of the Old Testament, the mountain where God gave the Ten, Command, the Ten Commandments. Uh, this is the mountain that may be touched And it was a fearsome mountain with a frightening presence of God on top of that mountain because the people were sinners. They were sinful people, and God in his holiness came down to Mount Sinai, wrapped it in thick smoke, and the smoke went up from that place like the smoke of a kiln, the Bible says, just pressurized, thick, black smoke. Uh, thunder and lightning and, and the shaking of the mountain took place and fire was there and darkness. This was the mountain that can be touched. This is what we are not coming to today. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. The voice of God was, I mean, was just so gripping in fear. Uh, in, in, the, in the resultant conviction of their sin, they begged, that it just, quiet, well, we can't take it anymore. For they could not endure the order that was given, that if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is all found in Exodus of your Old Testament. Don't even come up and touch, don't even get near to this mountain where God is. You're not worthy. You're full of sin. Don't come near to the presence of a holy God. That's, not, that's what we have not come to today. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, another mountain, The city of God in the Old Testament was referred to Mount Zion. But in this case, uh, this is not a mountain that can be touched. This is the future Zion. This is our heavenly dwelling. This is our reward uh, for, uh, for the forgiveness of sin that we've received through Jesus Christ. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Who's the firstborn from the dead? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn, we will follow. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God. Remember this same God who could not be approached in the mountain that could be touched. That This God, here he is in the presence, in the midst of him. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's look at this together real quick as we prepare for the Lord's Supper today. There's three realities that we can rejoice in right here from this text. The first is this, the blood of Jesus brings us home. The blood of Jesus brings us home. Human sinfulness is gravely mismatched with the holiness of And the presence of God. Human sinfulness is mismatched to the presence of God, and the presence of God because of our sin is a fearsome presence. In fact, before Christ, before uh, the blood of Christ, before the broken body of Christ, we have no hope of approaching God, not because he's mean, but because we are wrong. We are born in sinfulness, and then we indeed are sinners in this world. But the blood of Jesus changes all that it takes those who are shut out who cannot even touch that mountain and brings them into the party we see here did you see that the festal gathering of angels I mean this is a celebration it takes outsiders and gives them a homeland I took our kids on a hike recently in, in Tennessee a hike I had done many times way down into the Tennessee River Gorge from on top of Signal Mountain we were going to camp down there. We backpacked in, took all our food, all our cooking, every, every single thing. Stuff I had done many times when I was young. Uh, and I tried it again, 46 and twice that many pounds heavier than I was uh, uh, last time. And took the kids up there and we hiked down in there. I was miserable. I got down there, I was miserable. Everything, ate, ankles, feet, arches, knees. I mean, tried to sleep that night. We froze to death because... I thought it's 100 degrees outside, we don't need sleeping bags, I'll just bring some blankets, and we did, and we, f- we froze, we didn't sleep probably 10 minutes that whole night, just shivering. We got to the second night, and we had fun that day, we went swimming and in the creek there, it was awesome, we, we were just standing around there, and we knew that in just moments, we're going to have to get back in that tent and freeze again. And the kids and I just kind of standing there, and it was just a dark, kind of a dark mood, like, oh, God. And, uh, and so all at once we kind of said, y'all want to get out of here? <laughs> we took a vote. Each of them came and whispered their vote in my ear, and uh, the vote was overwhelming. Let's get out. <laughs> and so we packed everything up and headed up the mountain as fast as we could. It was right at dusk. We didn't have much daylight left. I got to the top of that mountain where I had some cell phone signal and like every grown man should, I called my mom and she lives there and I said, Mom, we made a mistake and we need to come to your house. And she said okay and so uh, we went to her house and uh, had a couple days visit there. Uh, Got there, the lights were on, it was cool inside, hot water in the shower, fresh soap she put in there for us, the beds were made with clean sheets, turned down pillows were fluffed right and dinner was on the on the uh, on the oven on, on the stove you know how it is when you go to mom's house you know there's sometimes we just need a home going uh, in fact we're born with the sense that this is not our home i mean the brokenness of this place testifies this cannot be all that there is something is wrong here and we need a father and we need a homeland to be able to go to in times of need. Before Christ, without the cross, we have no homeland. We come to a mountain that we can't even touch. The presence of God who longs to be our Father cannot bear us in his presence because of his holiness and because of our turning against him. Only Jesus changes that. Only Jesus moves us from guilty outsiders to treasured homegoers. That's why we remember today. But secondly, the second reality we rejoice in is that the blood of Jesus makes us safe. There is a little surprise in this scene of jubilation. Uh, We've got the, the assembly of the firstborn. We've got the angels in festal gathering, innumerable angels. We've got Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, this assembly here. But in the middle of it, there's something that surprises us. God is there. And he's called by a certain name, the judge of all. Now, that's not a friendly name, is it? I mean, I don't think I would like to meet someone by that title, the judge of all. I mean, I freak out when a policeman's near me going down the road, right? You ever do that? And I used to be a policeman. but I'm, you're driving down the road. There's a policeman nearby driving. By. You, you haven't done anything wrong. You haven't even thought a bad thought, but you just freeze up. I, you're paralyzed there. Uh, do I go faster than him? Do I go slower than him? What if I want to change lanes? Is he going to get me? I mean, he's watching us, and we're worried about a policeman on this earth, right, near us. Can you imagine meeting or being in the presence of one who is called the judge of all who knows with certainty every thought he knows that he knows every thought every word every action every dark dark deed that you have done every attitude you've had i mean the worst and to beat it all he is the judge of all that is a fearsome presence to be in but in this moment we see something strange here we see that in the presence of the judge of all there can be jubilation there can be welcome there can be home going there can be this party in the presence of one who ought to look at us and render judgment who ought to look at us and, and and give us our just deeds our recompense for who we are and for what we've done but we find instead we have a forever father in, in, in this moment. That's meant to be here on purpose. In the midst of this party, there's the judge of all, and we don't have to fear him because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. How did he do it? First John 3 1 says this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. We are the children of God. It makes a difference when the judge of all is your father. The other night, we were in bed, and it was time to be in bed, time for everybody to be in bed, and all of a sudden the door opened And in crept a child, and it was a big child. Uh, it was Olivia. She's like six foot three now, and she crawled into the bed with us, said she couldn't sleep, crawled up there, went to sleep, slept there the whole night. I got up to go to the bathroom, came back, my side was gone. I mean, it was taken by her. I tried to squeeze back in, bony knees and elbows were poking me in the back, bad breath is breathing on my face. (laughs) It was awful. I thought how do we get to the point that there's grown people sleeping between us, you know? She can do that, let me just proclaim this today, you can't, all right? Don't try that. Here's the reason, here's what makes the difference, that's my daughter and I'm her father. And listen, if, if you think of being in the presence of the judge of all, that for, for, may sound fearsome. And for those outside of Christ, it ought to be, because it is. Because God has appointed a day when the Lord Jesus himself will return as judge. But for you and me, listen, the judge is our Dad. And we're his sons and daughters. There is no fear in the presence of God here. You've not come to what can be touched, but you've come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and uh, myriad angels and festal gathering. Why is that a reality today? Only because of Jesus. Only Jesus does that. Because of Jesus, the the presence of the judge of all becomes the embrace of a forever father. That's our reality. But lastly, the blood of Jesus pays our debt. It pays our debt. This is so powerful to me. This very last verse here, we've come to Jesus, the mediator, or the giver, the provider, the deliverer of a new covenant, a new promise, a new way, and to the sprinkled blood. Who's sprinkled blood? The Lord's. Jesus' sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now that speaking is, is figurative, you might say, and it does hearken back to Genesis when the Lord himself said to Cain, what have you done? Where's your brother? What have you done? The, 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 what does it say? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So what type of word does the blood of Abel speak? A word of vengeance, right? A word of justice, a word of punishment, a word of pain. The blood of Abel is crying out from the ground to the Lord God and saying, do something about this. This was wrong, what happened to me. There is sin here. Who's gonna deal out justice for what happened to me? It must be made right. That's the call, the cry of the blood of Abel. That's the call against all of us for our sins. It's not just about Cain and Abel. It's about you and me, born as sinners and in fact sinners in this world. The blood of Abel, so to speak, the cry of that is a cry against sinners. God, make it right. God set the punishment God bring the pain for what these have done. I was in the cemetery behind our house last night walking and you walk through a cemetery you see gravestones with messages, Bible verses, little lambs, uh, nice things. There was a poem by Emily Dickinson on one of the tombstones and fond memories. I came to one tombstone, a big one there, it had the lady's name, and her last name was Love, I think, uh, and it's, there's, there was her picture actually, and her name. And underneath it, it said, Brutally Murdered. I thought that's, that's different, isn't it, for a cemetery? <laughs> Usually see, not, and I thought, why? And Erica and I talked about it. Why would they? That's such a strange thing to. That's the forever memory on this huge gravestone. Why would they put that there? I went inside and looked it up. Right there in Jackson County, 1997, she was beaten to death by her ex-husband who then turned and shot someone else in the back and killed him to execute or sentenced to death in 1999 and executed in the state of Georgia not too long ago now. Why would they put that on there? Because they don't want people to forget. Something wrong was done here. This was not right. She was only in her 20s she had young children. We were her family. We rocked her in our arms when, we were, when, we, when she was little and born. We, we were in the rocking chair there. We fed her those spoons. I mean, she, that was our baby. This cannot go unpunished. This must be remembered. Let's put it in stone. Brutally murdered. And friends let's not think too highly of ourselves, that there's not a cry against you and me, sinners. Did God do something about it? Yes, he did. When nothing else could be done, he sent his son to be broken on our behalf and to shed his blood. When our sin cried out for justice, The penalty owed was leveled onto the Son of God so that the flow of his blood cries out forgiveness in place of the cry for justice. In fact, justice was executed. Justice was executed on him so we can be forgiven. He was considered a sinner so we could be God's son. And so today we have much to remember, don't we? Before we do, let me ask you a question. Which cry speaks over your life today? If you're outside of Christ, listen, you're still under the cry of vengeance, of justice. In fact, it's coming for you. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. If you've never trusted him today, let today be the day Don't go a day further without the cry of a father and a homeland over you. I'm going to pray.